0: So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I said to him, saying, No such thing as you say is being done, but you invent this in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Let's pray again. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us this morning, and Lord, that uh, you would minister to us as only you can, Lord, set us back on course, or continued on course, or strengthened on course, and Lord, that we would finish our race that you've set before us. Lord, we pray that you would use what happened way back in the time of Nehemiah to minister and to open our eyes to your plan and purpose in our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Our spiritual progress is... Always, you know, if you ever ta- text something in all caps, you can put this one al- always in all caps. Our spiritual progress is always, always, always met with resistance from a couple of sources. One, our own spiritual progress is met from resistance from our own flesh, right? Without any outside interference, did you know your own flesh resists your own progress? We also get resistance from the world around us. The world is not excited that you're excited about Jesus. So you get resistance from the world around us. We also get it from the unseen spiritual realm. Do you ever feel just an oppression or attacks or some sort of, there, there really is spiritual warfare. I wish I didn't have to experience it, and I wish you didn't either, but God has said this is this is part of our, walking through this world. Sometimes the resistance is subtle. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's sporadic. Sometimes it's relentless. You ever had a relentless attack? Things that you're going through, things you're battling through, things you're dealing with. But the variety of things that can take us off track are limitless. There's no no number we could probably put on that could take a person off track because you've got... Six, seven billion people on earth, and Satan can use all kinds of things to keep people off track or to take us off track. But if God is for us, who can be against us? That's either true or it's not true. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, we can persevere. If God is for us, we can recognize, we'll be able to recognize attacks and detours. You ever see detours and you recognize them as such? Attacks? If God is for us, we can actually withstand attacks in our life. It's not a question of if you'll get attacked, you will. The question is, can you withstand them? Can you withstand attacks? If God is for us, we can remain faithful. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith?" On the earth, will we remain faithful? If God is for us, we can finish strong. We can mount up with wings like eagles. We can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint. That's either true or it's not true if God is for us. If God is for us, we can do all things, and things that never even we or anyone else thought were possible can be done if God is for us. And the good news is, God is for us. Amen? Amen? That's the good news. God is for us. It's God that brought you here today. It's God that put it in your heart to even come at all. It's God that kept you breathing this morning. God is for us. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you know the verse. For I know the thoughts I think towards you. We don't always know the thoughts he thinks towards you. I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, and to give you a future and a hope. There are so many people right now planning evil, but not God. He's planning good for those that love him. His plans are to prosper us. I didn't say he's going to make you a millionaire. I didn't say he's going to give you all your wish list. His prospering in his for us is according to his righteousness and his determination for our life. But he'll help us. He'll bless us. He'll bless us with grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? Grace that is greater than all of our sins. He'll bless us with his grace. And all the while, using flawed vessels like us, and we all have our warts and flaws, right? He uses flawed vessels like us to fulfill his will and his plans for ultimately his glory. It's not for Nehemiah's glory. They weren't going to build a temple to Nehemiah. It's for the glory of the Lord. But on our part, even though we know all this, maybe we know it intellectually. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit to bring it from here down into here, right? But even though we know these things, none of it is easy. It's not easy to live it out in faith and to cling to his promises, right? It's one thing to, to say something. It's another thing to live it out. Amen. Amen. It's not easy to live this out. If you are in Nehemiah's shoes, you can say, you know, if you could stand from a distance and, or email him, God's got this. But if you're standing where he's standing, it doesn't feel so sure sometimes when you're kind of surrounded like he is here, right? So even though we know it, it's not easy. If you're taking notes, you see on the screen the title of today's message, Stay the Course. If you think you've seen the last well-orchestrated attack in your life, or the last unforeseen impasse in your life, think again. I, I hate to bum you out, but the enemy's not done coming back and retesting us, and our flesh is not done rising back up again. The flesh doesn't die easy, does it? But our enemy, the, Satan's been around for at least six, 7,000 years, and he's still doing the same attacks now as he ever was. He's not He's not a physical being like us. He doesn't get tired. Spiritual beings are different. The angelic realm. So these things will keep coming until Jesus returns. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have difficulty. But don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. These things end when we go home with Jesus. That's when the battles will finally end. There's no more. You don't have to fight a battle when you get to heaven. It's all over. And that's already been won, but we still have to finish our course. We have to stay on that course. We looked at that back in August in Hebrews chapter 12. Nehemiah and the people, they've already come through several hurdles. Those of you that have ever run a race or you've ever participated in any type of sporting thing where you there's a course, you can get through it and feel pretty good, and all of a sudden, you can go from feeling great to feeling incredibly exhausted, and yet you know that you're nowhere near finished. You've got to continue to go forward say, so, well... Uh, I made it through halfway, but I still have halfway to go. They've made it through some difficult attacks. They've made it through a lot of uh, threats. They've made it through a lot of oppression. But the enemy has a few more angles and approaches, doesn't he? He's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. And it's God who allows these disturbances. I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of sometimes scratch our heads like, God, why do you allow these things? Why would you allow these things? Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're very large. But we have his word to guide us through our response and our resolve. Did you know God wants to build resolve in you? He wants to build resolve in you, but he wants it to be through a response that is guided by him in his word and strengthened by his spirit. It's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, he said, lest Satan should take advantage of us.'" Now, Paul was saying, hey, just so you know, Satan's real. He attacks believers. He attacks the church, not him specifically, but his horde the force of darkness. He said, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his,' what? Devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. We know the kind of things that he says and does and whispers to us, But we're not ignorant of these things. We want to look at three things this morning as we endeavor to stay on course. As Nehemiah faithfully stayed on course, he withstood these kind of threats, these intimidations, the beguiling. Hey, "We, we think that we figured out what your plan is. All of these things we want to look at from three different angles this morning. The first, if you're taking notes, is I believe the Lord wants you to remember your calling, to remember your specific calling and not become distracted or derailed. We all can get distracted, right? Now, let's look back at the text here and how this takes place. Now, he's got these common, you know, Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, uh, they hold leadership positions in the area. Now, if you go way back to the beginning of the study, remember that Nehemiah was given letters. He was given uh, rights to the king's forest. He was given a detachment of troops. Um, the King of Persia had given him the authority to go back and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. There was There was no question he had the king's backing. Nevertheless, there was also, these other leaders also worked for the king, and they had positions of leadership, and they felt like if they could cobble together and paint a picture to send back to Persia, they could, get Nehemiah in a lot of trouble, and even if they did him harm, it would be looked at as they did the king a favor. It would be like some co-workers of yours conspiring against you behind your back to kind of stab you in the back and to come up with a plan to make you look like you're the only one not being loyal to the company or whatever the case may be. And this is kind of what's taking place here. Now, they've tried different things, and Nehemiah has yet to fall for any of them. Satan will try a lot of things in your life and my life, but God doesn't want us to fall for any of them. Amen? Amen. We know we have his marching orders. That's kind of what we cling to. But what takes place, they come back to him. Their enemies had heard that he had rebuilt the wall. They've made more than just the halfway progress we saw in chapter 4. The walls are now all the way up. The gates haven't been hung, but there's been a tremendous amount of progress. And so they come to him in verse 2, these different uh, leaders within the Persian Empire that are stationed in that area, uh, they hate the Jewish people. They do not want to see the city rebuilt. They want to see it remain in ruins. But obviously a lot has already taken place, and they figure if we have any chance of kind of rolling this back, we need to take Nehemiah out because he really is leading well, and the people are responding. So they say in verse 2, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, if you're invited by an enemy to Ono, Ono is your answer, right? Uh, Anytime you're invited to Ono, Ono don't go, right? Um, To go to Ono is not an invitation to flourish. It's not an invitation to see continued progress. They want to sidetrack him, stop him, stop the progress. Don't don't let it go any further. Satan will notice if you're progressing in the faith. And he'll want to stop where you're at. Stop you where you're at. Get you sidetracked. Get you derailed. Get you to stop coming to Bible study. Get you to stop coming to prayer meeting. Get you to stop fellowship. Whatever it is, he wants to sidetrack you and me. If you're doing what the Lord has called you to do in your life, then you've no doubt dealt with it in the past or you're currently dealing with it, or you will be dealing with distractions that will attempt to derail you and take your focus off the primary calling of your life. What's the primary calling of our life? All of us. We have a primary calling. It's to seek first the kingdom of God, right? Now, by the way, Nehemiah's answer, look at his answer in verse 3. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work. I'm doing a great work here. So that I cannot come down, why should the work cease and leave it and go down, twice down as mentioned, to you? It's not a prideful answer. He's not saying, hey, I'm doing really good work here. You should, see, uh, If I was graded on a scale, this is like a 10 work I'm doing up here, right? He's not, he's not been, this isn't a prideful answer. It is one that reflects his recognition that the work he's doing is directly from God. If you know that what you're doing is directly from God, you know you're doing a good work. It not mean that you're good or I'm good, but we're doing the work of the Lord. We know it's a good work because we know it comes from God. Now, remember, Nehemiah didn't come up with the plan. God gave him the plan and said, I'm going to prosper the plan. You just go and do it. It should encourage you that when you're frustrated with what you're doing, let's say you're frustrated being a mom, well, you say, hold on a second. Who made me a mom? Who made me a mom? Well, that the Lord did. If the Lord did, that's a good work. Why I'm frustrated at the wrong thing here. Instead, I have to understand that the enemy wants to twist my thinking. The Lord, he says, I'm doing a good work here. We're making progress. Why should it cease? Why should I come down? Um, in my own life. I mean, I have the same thing. You know, when I left full-time six years ago this month, I, left full, I was bivocational, vocational I worked in IT and business and full-time pastor. I've had over the years, I've had recruiters call me and say, you want to come back to way better money? I've had them call me. And at first thought, I'm like, that sounds really nice. <laughs> uh, but I have to kind of t- tell them, you know, I- I'm doing what God's called me to do. I've done this. I've actually s- said it, and they say well, if you change your mind, right, come to the Valley of Ono, you know, and uh, we, we, can have a, we can have a meeting together. We can consult together. That's what they even say. They did even use the word consulting, right? So, But we have to know, what, Lord, am I doing the work you've called me to do, whatever it is in your life, whatever it is in my life. Now, distractions, they can seem harmless sometimes, right? But they're not always harmless, are they? You know, the good is the enemy of the best a lot of times. Jesus said, "Keep your eyes fixed upon me, but we'll, we'll kind of get them well, we'll kind of keep Jesus almost centered, but slide to the right and make something else just a little bit. Distractions, they can be seemingly harmless, or they can be very big distractions, and you even kind of recognize them as such. They can be numerous, little small ones. Sometimes it we are kind of taken out by a thousand little things aren't we it's not always something big or devastating the death of a spouse or something like that sometimes it's it's small little things lots of them you know you ever seen like what's the what's it, gulliver's Travels? tied down by a, a thousand little strings or something like that that kind of those little distractions can happen Important or unimportant. But they can crowd our attention, and we can lose our focus rather quickly, can't we? We can go from very focused on the Lord, very focused on the will of the Lord, very focused on serving Him, to poof. We're in all different directions in our minds and our hearts. Distractions are not just for kids, are they, adults? They're not just for kids. Adults get very distracted, too. Adults have spiritual ADD uh, as well where you know we really can have real problems staying focused on the Lord everyone and distractions aren't usually presented they're not always presented as distractions are they they're presented as opportunities betterments this will make you happier this will do this they're not always presented as distractions the enemy doesn't do that he says let's consult together <laughs> not let's take you out of the game Consult together sounds so professional. Come, we've even written you a forum letter. Come, let us consult together. Uh, you'll probably be more efficient when we're, you're done talking with us. You'll have more support of the king. You'll have all this, and none of it's true. Distractions aren't always presented as distractions. No, they're disguised. Sometimes they're disguised as urgent things that need our immediate attention when they don't really need our immediate attention. Our phone, hey, you have a smartphone? It will present itself as urgent all the time, and it's really not. Right, right. Most of the time, it's a distraction. Many distractions take the form of worries and fear. Worries and fear. Satan's like, if I can get you to be afraid and worried, you'll have no fixation on Jesus. You'll fixate on problems nonstop. If you fixate on problems, you'll get nothing done for the Lord. And he's okay if you and and I stay in a holding pattern like that. It's why we looked at the fear of the Lord last week, right? Which is a different type of fear. It's an awe. It's a respect. It's a love for God that drowns out the worries and the fears. Jesus said, you've got enough things to worry about. You just stay focused on me and let me take care of what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all that kind of stuff. Jesus said, I didn't tell you to take all that on. I told you to just... Follow me, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. But we looked at the fear of the Lord and why keeping his commands, brother and sister, keeping the commands of the Lord, understand this, it calms us and clarifies our vision. Amen. Keeping the commands of the Lord, staying focused on what God is said to do, it calms us and it clarifies our vision and the work and the calling of our life. We will understand our spiritual priorities when we're talking with God, when we're walking with God. We won't be confused, well, should I do this, or should I do this? This will take me away from my primary things. No, because God will give you clear. You're able to quickly see, that's a distraction, that's a weight. that's a sin, that's an attack, that's a detour. The Holy Spirit reveals that as we walk and talk with the Lord. And Nehemiah had a relationship with God, right? He's not just answering them from himself. He's like, no, no, let me process this. Why am I on this wall? God put me here. What's he done so far? We went from rubble to halfway built. The walls are up. We're making progress. Hold on. These guys hate me. That should be a clue right there, right? These guys really don't like me. They don't like the Jewish people. They they probably are setting a trap. And his safest place, if God doesn't tell you to move, don't move. If God didn't tell you to go somewhere, don't go. I had Christians all say, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. In the New Testament it says, we're going to go to this city, buy and sell. It. Did God tell you to go? Well, I just feel like huge difference. If Nehemiah says, says, you know, I feel like this time they're sincere, and I'm a little tired anyway, and they can probably make a really nice spread, and we've been eating just kind of really lame food lately. Let me just go ahead and take a lunch break might be the last lunch break he takes. The fear of the Lord. Hearing the Lord. We understand how to answer to these things. We we remember, Lord, you've called me to this. Let me not be moved. And our calling is to glorify God. It's not to find our own pleasures. It's not about, you know, life is not even about your own self-preservation. You're not supposed to self-preserve or self-promote. Yourself, you and I are supposed to just continue to seek the Lord, and He'll preserve us and He'll promote us through life as He sees fit. Amen? That is our calling. The Apostle Paul said, um, This one thing I do. Now we know Paul did many things. And when you say that, say, Do you really think Paul only did one thing? What does he mean by that? You know it's a spiritual phrase, right? This one thing I do. Paul did many things. If you study the life of Paul, you're like, how did he fit all that into one lifetime? He went to many places. He had numerous responsibilities. He impacted many lives. He spoke multiple languages. But by the Spirit of God, he was able to understand how all his myriad of responsibilities... Raise your hand if you have more than one responsibility in life that you're aware of. Okay, there you go. So, if you have more than one responsibility, and I do too, I'm a husband... I have kids, we have a church, we have leaders, we have all kinds of things. I have administrative stuff, I have spiritual stuff. I have Well, it's all spiritual, but I have administrative things, I have study things, I have planning things. All of these things, how can they all mean one thing in the economy of God? How can it all mean one thing? When Paul said, I've got all this other stuff to do, Paul understood by the Spirit of God, he was able to understand in spiritual understanding how all those things fit under one umbrella of seeking first the kingdom of God. And God wants to, by the Spirit of God, coordinate your life as he did in Nehemiah, that whether you're rebuilding a wall, picking up a brick, helping a person, feeding someone, putting up the gates, that it all fits under one thing, to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, if you try to explain this to an unsafe person, they say, that's just godly gobbledygook. But if you understand, once you've been saved, you understand that your life maps back to one thing, and that is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. So anytime you see something taking you away from that, you can, you can guarantee that it's to take you off course. Does that make sense? Anything that takes you away from glorifying the Lord is not what God would have for. It's not God's best. It's certainly God, not God's plan. And it is a trapdoor. For the enemy to take you much further down the river. Okay, well, it's just a—it just kind of keeps us away from church about ten times a year. Then it's twenty times. Then it's this. Then we don't really have time for this. Well, I used to read the Bible, but this hobby—it—it it, relieves me of so much stress, and now it's relieved me from reading the Bible. Interesting. So your golf is taking off stress, but it also kept you from now studying the Bible. I wonder if that really came from God or if that came from the Valley of Oh No, <laughs> right? Marketing plan, Oh No, right? The things that we well, this, this really relaxes me. It does this, it does that, but I just don't have time for the Lord anymore. Or I used, to like, I, I used to like to listen to Scripture or this, that, and the other, but now I found something better. So little by little, drifting downstream. We all have a singular calling, to seek and serve the kingdom of God. And yet within that, again, you may be a parent, child, employee, and God still wants to map it all back to that singular calling of pleasing him. Real quick, we're going to move on to the next, but I want you, to, if you're taking notes, these are four things. The enemy wants to take us. One, off the work that God's called us. They said, hey, come off the wall there. Come off the wall. Come consult with us. And the plains of Ono. Come down here. He wants to take us off the work of God. Number two, he wants to take us away from serving others. Nehemiah's calling was not just walls. It was people. And if he was on the wall, he was working directly with the people, ministering to them, pouring into their lives. God wants you to stay working with people. The enemy wants you to become very self-absorbed and not have time for people. Number three... He wants to take us down. We mentioned that in that verse twice, down, down. The enemy wants to take you down spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And they're all really closely tied together anyway because we're made up of mind, body, and spirit. So he wants to fatigue you out of serving the Lord. And number four, he wants to take you out of the will of God into our own will, self-willed, out of the will of God. Nehemiah said, this is what God's called me to do. But if he says, "Ah, I'll go do this, now he's walking in his own will instead of the will of God. So if you're taking notes, these are four things the enemy wants to do to take us out of or away from walking on course. Now, don't get distracted and derailed. It can be a number of things. It can be ourselves. It can be discontent. Did you know conflict with people takes many people out of walking with the Lord? Disobedience to God's command. Disappointments. Life has disappointments. A lot of people have disappointments. They just say, the oh, disappointment, I'm just not even going to talk to God for a week. And that can stretch to a month, into a year. What we started with just a temptations can be another one. Temptations taking us off track. Samson, we talked about him last week. All of these things. Let's take a look. If you're taking notes, our next point here, resist your adversary. What, how does Nehemiah respond? He's, uh, well, they continue, They continue. starting verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down here. Why should the work cease? And I go down to you. But they sent me this message four times. These guys don't give up easy, do they? Four times they sent the message. Then Samlot sent his servant before me a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And we're not going to reread it, but again, it was, it was, hey, here's what we know you're doing. You're planning to revolt. You're planning to rebel. It's all a lie, but it's really well written. Well, we know one thing has changed. Political operatives still know how to write and wordsmith lies, right? Uh, so we know that has not changed. It was happening then, backstabbing each other, making the other side look evil and all this other stuff. When they themselves are evil, but yet they were trying to make Nehemiah look evil. We know you're the one that has the bad heart. Uh, takes a really bad heart to know a bad heart, right? So, you know, they, they were able to write this stuff out. But we have an adversary. He knows who his adversary is. He said, I can't come down to the work. And I love what he says in verse 8. Uh, he just straight up says, all right, here's the deal. No such thing as being done. You invent this in your own heart. He doesn't write a formal letter back. He doesn't have some kind of campaign, he just says, I know what's true, and this is a lie. Don't get deceived or doubt what God has already made clear to you. If God has already made it clear, God changeth not. Amen? Amen. The enemy will twist things, and if God has made it clear, continue to stay the Course, the knowledge of God and what He has said and promised, helps us to know ourselves. We need to know ourselves a little bit, don't we? God helps us know ourselves to know ourselves and to know our enemy and how to respond to the enemy. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry, and here it is, that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I could be moved, but I remember that my enemy is a liar and Jesus is the one that gave me the ministry. So if the enemy says, Paul, you're not fit for this ministry, you were a murderer a long time ago. Paul, you can't do this because you failed over here. Paul, you, you're not able to, your sight's not good. You know, you, you've, you've blown it here. The enemy will tell you, you can't really you can't really think that your kids will ever respect you, the mistake you made way back then, right? The things that the enemy says, but if, if the Lord says, no, 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 but I cleansed you. I redeemed you. I made you new. You can stand on the wall. You do not need to listen to them. They are still in their sins. The same threat, the same argument, the same temptation it's just being retold by these guys and repackaged, but it's still the same lie as it was from the outset, and the lie is you better stop or else. This is what the enemy says to us constantly. You better stop or else. You're not going to make it. You're not going to survive. You're going to end up with a heart attack. You're going to end up over here. You're going to end up like your mom or your aunt or this, that, or the other. The enemy lies. The world lies. Our own feelings lie. To us. And they all say other things too. If they can't, if the enemy can't convince you with fear, he'll go the other way. With temptations and pleasure. He'll say, the enemy will say to us, This will give you peace. This will make you happy. This will really satisfy you. This, whatever this is. If you moved and made more money, you'd finally have it all. Do you know people have tried this, right? They've moved, got more money, and they end up in a divorce, or something else goes wrong, or just their life starts to fall apart, or their kids go all, all different directions. Or maybe the enemy says, You know what you need? You need a new relationship. That's been told to many people in this country. You just need a new relationship. You need to start fresh. Yeah, you need to start fresh with Jesus. That is the new relationship. But it's not another person. We need a fresh start with the Lord. But it's not a fresh start with some other person, which may, you know, end in again broken homes and divorce and all that stuff. Uh, you might the enemy might say you just need to go buy something for you. Run it up on the credit card. That's what you need. That will. I mean, that only satisfies the new anything smell. Doesn't last long, does it? Right. And the bill comes in more ways than one. Right. Our flesh, our feelings, the adversary will say, you're not qualified to serve there. Well, guess what? No one is in a certain sense. You're not qualified for that. You'll, you'll fall. You'll fail. Yeah, you might, but God will bring you through it anyway. Well, don't go do that. Don't serve there. People will let you down. All of these things, these are all from the enemy. All, I can show you scriptures, all th- there were these different attacks. They're different, but they have one source. The enemy knows what works. Say, if I've tried this on Nehemiah, it didn't work. I tried this on Nehemiah, it didn't work. I tried this on Nehemiah, it didn't work. Same thing in the New Testament. Satan would try this on Paul, this on Paul, this on Paul, this on Paul. Well, if I give him a thorn on the side, he'll, he'll surely. How about Job? If I do this, Job will curse God and die, right? He didn't. Do you know that we can make it because saints before us have made it? We can stay on the court. We're not that unique. We're not actually any unique, right? They just, they just cling to God. That's all God is saying to just cling to the truth. Resist. You know, he might have wanted to come off the wall. might have said, hey, I'm, I'm weary enough that this would be a nice time to just exit. No. Plus, you guys are lying. No such thing. That's in your heart. I'll stay right where I'm at. The enemy will come back to you, though, a thousand times. Keep coming back. Sometimes shouting at you, sometimes it's a whisper. Whispers are kind of worse, aren't they? The little whispers, they cause people to go into deep depression. All kinds of mental health issues. They cause people to you know, just give up on life. The whispers are sometimes worse than the shouting. But he'll use both And anything else. The enemy will tell you to bail while you can. And God will say, stand where you are. It's safer to run, the enemy will say. It'll feel good. But how did Jesus resist Satan in the wilderness? You remember? Before he started the ministry, he went away for 40 days of fasting. Didn't eat for those 40 days. Satan kept coming to him. Now, he couldn't really tempt Jesus with suffering. Jesus already committed to the cross. He was like, I'm going to go be crucified. So Satan's like, all right, I can't tempt him with suffering. He's already kind of stepped into human flesh. That's suffering enough when you actually step out of heaven and, and dust of the earth. He's headed, to he- he's headed to the cross. So Satan says, hey, if I give you this kingdom, if I do this, I do that. And how did Jesus always answer? He knew the truth of God and he knew the word of God and he spoke the word of God. You and I need to get the word of God in our heart and speak it to ourselves, and speak the word of God. The Word of God he quoted to Satan. You know, a lot of times it's not Satan. We blame the devil for a lot of things. It's just us, right? The whole devil made me do it is mostly not true. It's usually you made yourself do it. I made our, myself do it. But we can quote Scripture to ourselves, right? We have the Bible talks about we have the spiritual man and the fleshly man, and they're kind of at war at all times. So, but the Word of God is always supersede the forgiveness of God. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. One of the ways we quench the fiery darts of the enemy, or we quench the issues of our flesh, is to just ask God for mercy and forgiveness, right? And then we just continue to quote the Word of God, say, God is my helper. God is my strength. I can do all things through Christ's strength. Whatever it takes, just continue to quote the Word of God. And Jesus quoted directly to Satan. If you're taking notes, um, and some things that uh, the Word of God does for us. Uh, I, I mentioned that I, I love, I don't love all the technology we have today because I think it is a big distraction, but there are some good things. I, I Now when I cut the grass, I listen to Scripture. I don't know how many times I've listened to James, 1st, 2nd Peter, and Hebrews lately. I just keep listening to them and listening to them, and I believe that in my spirit it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into me, so I'm able to quote the Word of God to myself and to attacks and, to, and also to minister to people. They're just there. The Word of God will just come out of you. I have to memorize the Word of God. Jesus already knew it, right? Yeah. You and I have to study to show ourselves prove unto God. But here's some things, the Word of God, it refreshes our resolve. If you find that your resolve has become very weak, I would probably guess your time in the Word has become weaker. It refreshes our resolve. Number two, it fortifies our faith. Faith is not a constant, static thing. It has to have fresh waters coming in. Amen? It has to be re-fortified regularly because God has called us to have a living faith. Just like you can't survive on last week's food. You're going to have to eat again this week. Some of you are looking forward to that. A and about. You're saying, when will you be done? I'll be to do that soon. Uh, fortify your faith. Dissolves our discontent. We all have discontents. Everyone in this room has areas of discontent. You may be different, but the only thing that happens when we meditate on the Word of God is our discontents just kind of dissolve. We All of a sudden, we're like, why was that so important to me? Why was that such a big deal? Why did I really think we needed that? Because the Costco catalog landed in the mail. That's why. Because I looked at it right there, and I became discontent. It's like, why do we have this? The Word of God dissolves that. And lastly, it frees us from fear. We all have fears. And the Word of God quenches those fears. It just kind of puts them out. And it's a it's kind of like watching the hands on the clock. The more you stay in the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God, it's like watching it, you won't even realize that these things are happening deep inside your soul. Last things we want to look at as we come to a close here. Relying on our stronghold. So Nehemiah said, uh, these things you invent in your own heart, verse 8. Verse 9 is our last verse here. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. They'll be afraid. They'll be weakened. They'll be discouraged. This is the church Satan wants. He wants a weak church, a discouraged church, a completely work-stopping, give-up, live-in-fear church. I couldn't do that because I won't have any fun anymore. Well, first of all, fun is a very fleeting thing. Joy is an abiding thing. Trade your fun for joy. Trade temporary toys for peace. These are the things that God wants to do. But he says that they were trying to make us afraid that our hands would be weak. The enemy wants a weak church a dead church, a stop-deadness-track church, all of that. But he wants that individually, too. He wants you weak and out of the work and not doing what the will of God and the plan of God is for your life. Now, therefore, he just offers up a prayer, strengthen my hands. Do you know that God wants you to know you're needy? Guess what? We are needy. That's why people need stuff. Money, possessions. Do you know the people that think Christians are needy are ten times needier in a sense? They just don't know it. Now, we know we're needy, so we know that Jesus is the only one that can actually satisfy our needs. But the Lord wants us to rely on him for strength. Don't get discouraged and fall into despair. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In Psalm 57, 7, David says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Do you know when we were singing, some of you probably experienced this morning, you probably, when you were singing, and then you say, I'm talking to the Lord. I'm worshiping the Lord. It reminded you of maybe areas you failed this week or even today. Then you start kind of talking to God. Lord, forgive me for that. And when you feel cleansed, you sing, and you actually had vitality you did not have when you walked in this room. Happens to me all the time. This will never stop in life. If you're, if you're saved, you will have, God just kind of refills, recharges the battery, recharges the battery, recharges the battery. Happens all the time. Happens in your, it should happen in your daily life, not just on Sundays, where I'll, some days you just don't feel like doing anything. You don't even know why. It's just because we're fallen men and women. And you start reading the word, you start praying, all of a sudden God recharges everything. And you can't even put a finger on it the joy of the lord is our strength our heart has to be steadfast and it's our heart that knows lord i rely on you i am needy i need you to revive and restore i'm not saying that uh, with all these things that we looked at the, th- the three things this morning resisting our adversary and um, remembering our calling and relying on our stronghold i'm not saying that we're never going to get distracted we're never going to get derailed we're never going to have even small deceptions. We'll never doubt. I'm not saying we'll never be discouraged. I'm not saying we won't even experience defeat. No, we'll stumble. We'll misstep. We'll take a few fiery darts that, that actually pierce the armor even. You ever taken some? Yeah, and they're in there. And you're like, pulling this out is not going to feel good. We'll have that happen. We'll waste some time. We'll forget that God's in control. We'll even proverbially freak out once in a while. All those things will happen. Even to spiritual, godly, Christ-loving believers, those things will happen to every person in here. And we'll even worry. And then, in the middle of all that, by the Holy Spirit, we'll remember the sixth chapter of Nehemiah. We're like, hold on a second. This isn't from God. This is from the enemy. Hold on, Jonah. You're in a whale. Who am I going to reach out to, right? God. We'll remember. We'll have momentary lapses of spiritual strength and of joy. And we'll have these momentary lapses of confidence. But here's the thing, brothers. If you you stay with Jesus, it won't be catastrophic. Right? It won't be catastrophic. It won't be a collapse. It'll be a scraped knee. Big difference, isn't it? Nehemiah might have had a moment there where he's like, oh, man. What am I going to do? But then he remembers, and then he's like, he can exhale and say, I'm going to stay right here. What are you going to say, Nehemiah? You guys are making this up in your own heart. God, give me strength. Did you see how simple his response is? It's not all kinds of drama. It's a simple response. We're going to have battle scars. We're going to have some fatigue, but we'll stay in the battle. Amen. I want to read something to close this out, and then we'll, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. I was up in uh, Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. I, I mentioned that last week, uh, my daughter's birthday. So we were up there, and I was uh, d- different Smith- Smithsonian. I grew up there and never hadn't gone in years. And I was in a, one of the museums I'd never been in before, uh, the Portrait Art Gallery. I like art, so we were in there looking at uh, different paintings and everything. And, and I came into this one section that was all historical and I saw a picture of a Civil War general, and he's riding a horse, and his sword's up in the air, and I knew he was a Union general, but I was like, I'm going to read a little bit about this. And so it had a little plaque underneath, and this is what it said. Philip H. Sheridan, 1831 to 1888, Union, Union soldier fighting against uh, the Confederacy. He was placed at the head of Ulysses S. Grant's cavalry in 1864. General Philip H. Sheridan faced his greatest challenge on October the 19th when, in the Shenandoah Valley right here in Virginia, he was informed that his troops were being overrun at the Battle of Cedar Creek. He leapt on his horse and galloped some 20 miles at breakneck speed. Now, if you've ever ridden a horse, 20 miles at breakneck speed can can do a lot of harm to the body. But at breakneck speed, to rally them where he would ride up and down the Union soldiers that were badly being overrun. He arrived on the field in two hours, and he turned almost certain defeat into victory. And as soon as I read that, you know, he came and he rode against, and, you know, he was riding against slavery and racism and all kinds of things. But I don't know what he, for his own men, but here's the thing. God immediately put in my head, the world wants you to run from the battle. I want you to run to the battle. Yes. Immediately, the Lord said, look, in every battle that the world says is unwinnable, I'm telling you it's winnable. Isn't that great to know? Yes. That the course you're on, the enemy says you'll never make it, you're going to fail, so you might as well just turn back. God says don't turn back, turn forward. The whole armor of God to go forward on the course. And he went to, and he just wrote up and down. And I don't even know if he knew what he could do. He didn't add any manpower. But there is something there. God says, look, what I do in people is always spiritual. Amen? Amen? There was no added weaponry. There was no added time. There was no added anything. It was just a belief. And we have on the back, we believe, if we believe that God can keep us on course, will we stay in his word and in his presence to stay on course? Amen? Yes. If we believe it, we will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning that it's your desire that we would finish the work, that we'd stay on the wall, that we'd remember our calling, that we'd resist the adversary. And, Lord, we'd rely on you, our stronghold. And, Lord, you will turn certain, vict- certain defeat, which we might think is certain, into certain victory, which you know is certain. And, Lord, we just want to thank you for the reminders, Lord, that your will... And your word and your calling are irrevocable in our life. And, Lord, if we would just stand firm and remember what you have said, Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here that we would finish this year. We have four months left. We'd finish it more in love with you, more convinced of your calling in our life, more convinced that you're soon returning, more convinced, Lord, that you have plans to prosper us than when he walked in these doors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.